1: The Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, January 19th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CWs, Superman and Lois. Please welcome my super co-hosts, Professor X.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: And Millie Wood.
0: Hello, Smallville.
1: Let's jump into our discussion of Season 2, Episode 2, which was titled, The Ties That Bind, and aired January 18th, 2022. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Clark opens up to Lois about his ongoing struggle with visions, and admits that there is only one person who might be able to help. Meanwhile, Lana receives some unexpected news, and tensions begin to rise between Lois and Chrissy. Sarah breaks plans with Jordan to spend time with Natalie. Alright, let's talk about it. Let's start off with the beginning of the episode, with that breakfast. The breakfast that started off quite lovely then turned a little awkward, then turned very dramatic. Lois, you know, makes this full spread because, you know, Natalie and John Henry Irons are staying with them at the farm until they sort of, you know, get settled in in Smallville. Um, Natalie's a vegan, so there was a little bit of awkwardness right there. And she also is not really a breakfast person. So there's that. But everything comes to a halt when uh, Clark has one of his episodes, is what we'll call it. And he opens up to Lois about the fact that he's been having these visions. It's happened a couple times already. And Lois initially is like, could this be some residual Zod in you you know are you seeing a planet getting destroyed so let's stop right here and let's talk about this uh professor i'll start off with you talk to me about the opening of the episode and clark talking to lois about well technically it's lois and and john henry irons who's there as well you know about talking to them about what he's seen you know throughout the past episode or so these visions that he's been having
2: well, I thought it was interesting that they clearly established that no matter what universe you're from, vegans are the worst. Um, you have uh, Lois who's gone to all this work, and uh, you know Natalie just goes, "Oh, I'm a vegan," and then she throws a bucket of blood on Lois and screams, "Meat is murder! Meat is murder!" So well she's being dragged off. Um, I glanced away. I may have, yeah, that may not have actually happened. Um, but yeah, it, it really did seem. And again, you know, Natalie is still a bit problematic in terms of how they're presenting her because that opening scene look even if you're a vegan uh you don't have to be like that about it you can just drink the orange juice you can you know snack on something that is not meat or egg based or cheese based or something like that you don't have to make a big deal about it but she did which kind of felt like she's you know it it felt to me like she was doing that to rub lois's face in it you know and yeah, you know, we saw elements of that in the previous episode when she was dealing with her dad. And yet later on in the episode when she's dealing with uh with um a uh, Sarah, she was great. So it's it's a little weird. And and again, I don't know if that's inconsistency or if that's just we're talking about a teenager and teenagers are, as we've established, the worst along with vegans. Vegan teenagers, one can only imagine. So, um, you know, it was an interesting start to that sort of showing that Lois is trying to reach out, but, uh, you know, uh, is basically being slapped down, uh, by Natalie, which, you know, I thought was interesting. They didn't make a big deal of it. You know, they didn't have Lois react strongly to that or anyone like that. Um, they just sort of, you know, uh, gloss over it, but I do think it was important to establish that idea that you know Lois is trying to reach out, but uh, Natalie is not uh, responding back As for the vision scene, um, you know, it was important to to uh, to have that moment where where Clark is having the vision simply because, you know, he can't be hiding something like that from Lois forever and uh, and bringing irons in, you know, makes sense because, you know, he's there in the house. You know, he is an ally. He is someone that, you know, they will be turning to, you know, for help and support, as we saw later in the episode. So it made sense. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was it was an interesting uh, way to start the episode, you know, sort of starting at the beginning of the day with, you know, the big breakfast and then, you know. You know, problems, whether it's the problem with Natalie or the problem with, uh, uh, with Superman, uh, do intrude uh, on the idyllic life that the Kents seem to have otherwise. So that was, it was a pretty good way to start the episode.
1: All right. Thank you for that anti-vegan tirade. And just an FYI, Millie Wood is a vegan.
2: I stand by my statement that vegans are the worst.
1: Okay. Millie Wood Nothing is not you have just vegan. said
2: drags me away from that. <laughs> oh, okay. In fact, I know. Given the fact that every goddamn time I tune into this podcast, you guys are talking about food. It was pretty clear that uh, you know it's not like you know uh, Millie's always saying, "Oh yes, I like processed soy that takes all the flavor out of it."
1: She might have said that. No, she didn't. also
2: honestly, if she was a vegan, she wouldn't be strong enough to be keeping doing these podcasts.
1: Okay. Oh wow. Well, there goes our vegan audience. All right. Okay. Millie Wood, I want to get your take on where Clark ends up going because he ends up visiting Talro, um in his uh prison cell that happens to have a fantastic looking library. And pretty much Talro is like um oh sure, you know, I can help, uh, you know, because Clark, you know, based off of just what what Lois had asked, was like, you know, do you have any information on the eradication process? You know, could I have some sort of um, lingering effects and that sort of thing? And Tal says that he he had never experienced it, uh, but, you know, sort of is like maybe others that experienced it are also... Getting the visions. But he wouldn't be able to know for sure. Until he runs some tests. On Clark. And uh, to do that. Clearly he's going to have to. Leave. His jail cell. And go to. His fortress. And uh, Clark. Is like. Um, no. But. Later on. Uh, Clark you know, does end up taking Tao up on his offer. Uh, Jordan ends up uh, going with him. And uh, when they get there, they're reunited via the Kryptonian consciousness with, with um, their mother. And uh, we were introduced to the character in the flesh for the first time. Yeah, no, we we experienced her through Lana uh, last season. So, Millie, talk to me about Tao, seeing him again. Uh, What did you think of his offer? And did you you trust... I mean, we're going to get to... Things going awry, but did you trust that things were not going to go awry? And what did you think of seeing Mama L? I was
0: shocked that we like saw Tal so soon, uh, considering usually they kind of put them there for a while and then they'll like have happenings. But I guess it made sense because he didn't die at the end of the last season; that he would make mm-hmm. him come up. But I didn't know we see him in the already in the second episode and to sort of be on. Clark's side, I guess. I mean, it's clear that um, at the moment, we don't think he's pulling any strings. Uh, he could be behind some of this, but I think that's going to be uh, interesting. We obviously need to, Clark has to work with him. He has information he's needed, regardless of if we should trust him or not, which we shouldn't trust him. Um, and definitely knew it was not everything was going to go right or something is going to happen because. Tal is still um holds resentment and bitter and petty so it's clear that he's not going to do everything in his good conscience to help out Clark alone um and I was surprised that we we saw his mom I was like it's the first time we did see her so um it is interesting that we got to see that and it's I think also funny um kind of the way that Tal is also a little salty to her um and then the little tidbit that we got that like not, I don't know if this was new information, but like Kryptonians and the way they were like born was a very strange tip I didn't expect us to also learn this episode, but we did. So that was strange.
1: Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, we got some interesting Intel during, uh, um, this whole sequence. So, so Lara is there and, uh, This is, uh, Lara's consciousness that was taken before the destruction of Krypton, which is a little different than the consciousness that we got last time, I feel, if if I'm not mistaken, um, the, the one that was inside of, um, Lana. Um, so, during the whole thing, um, Clark ends up having another one of his episodes, And Tal uses it to his advantage. He frees himself. uh, When Jordan ends up trying to protect his father, he gets into it with uh, Tal. And it is Lara that ends up um, being able to get through to Tal to release his nephew. So, I don't know what this means... But, Professor, I will ask you what it means. What'd you think of Lara? What'd you think of Tal? Uh, Millie brought up an interesting point about the Kryptonian, um, I don't know what we're going to call that, physiology, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, what'd you think of all th- that information? And based off of the fact that Tal didn't kill Jordan, are we gonna end up getting a redemption for Tal this season? I think Tal's
2: going to be a lot more interesting than we might have thought uh, at the beginning, at the end of last episode or last season, I should say. Um, this is just—I just want to bounce this off you guys. Does he seem more British this season than he did last season? Oh. That's interesting. He seems super British to me in this episode. And, and I realized, you know, he had a slight accent before. But in this episode, I, I just thought to myself, wow, he's like totally British. Um, and I just wondered whether that was a, a an acting choice or just the actor sort of, you know, thinking to himself, well, you know, I'm in my second season, I don't have to, uh, to fake it as much. I don't know. Uh, the introduction of Superman's mom was interesting. Uh, I did like the fact that, you know, we have the hologram version. I also think it's, it's kind of interesting the idea that, you know, essentially you've got the different versions of her based on when the backup was made it's like if you're backing up your computer depending on what backup point you go to you get a different version of the computer and that's going to be you know a different version of superman's mom so you know that that does open up interesting possibilities the idea about the sort of you know you know genetic destiny of the kryptonians and the fact that superman wasn't like that i think is a reference to the the snyder man of steel in which it was established that you know uh kryptonians are generally chosen you know to to breed for genetic purposes but uh, Jor-El and, uh, and Superman's mom uh, you know fell in love and had a child in a totally you know normal by our human standards uh, genetic way so I think that was a, sort of a shout out reference to that and it's it's probably I think it's it's based on the comics as well you know there have been so many versions of Superman's origin that, uh, you know, it's it's impossible to keep track of them. But I thought it was interesting to in, introduce her in this way. Um, I, I might push back a little bit uh, with what you were saying, Jeff, that it was, uh, you know, Lara who was able to stop uh, Tal from from doing anything really bad. You know, I, I thought it was more that, you know, uh, Kal-El broke out of, you know, the control of what he was under and proceeded to beat the shit out of uh uh, Tal, rather than anything else. I don't know that, you know, it was his mom saying, Hey, don't do that to my ne- to my, uh, uh, my nephew or to your nephew, uh, to my grandchild, uh, less than it was, uh, you know, kal basically breaking out of it and, and, you know, starting to punch the hell out of him. Well, but I do think it was, you know, interesting to have that, that, you know, dynamic, you know, that, that you have this, you know, this mother figure to both of them. Um, but in something that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, I don't remember whether it was you or whether it was uh Millie that mentioned it but yeah you are getting that resentment that we saw from Tal before Um, You know, the fact that he felt that he was abandoned to you know the despotic father who raised him. And I do wonder whether, you know, if we are going to get more of uh, of Lara going forward, you know, we we know that there is a doomsday. We we presume that that's going to lead to, you know, something very bad happening for Superman. You know, what will that mean for for Tal coming out of that and, and dealing with that? So, yeah, I do. I don't know that we were necessarily looking at a redemption arc for Tal, but I think he's he's a much more nuanced character. Uh, than maybe he was presented as last season. And I like that. I think the actor is great, um, you know, and uh, uh, I think he's, he's, he's got, you know, a lot to play with as this sort of, you know, I did see, you know, uh, the the showrunner was sort of saying he'd have a Hannibal Lecter-like vibe to him in the sense that he's the sort of outside expert that they have to go to, not because they like him or trust him, but because he knows stuff that the, the main characters don't. And I liked, you know, uh, bringing him in in this way and also finding out that he's basically been playing possum for all this time.
1: Well, ain't that the truth? Yes. And props to Mariana Claveno for being Lara. I loved her on True Blood. Um, she played, like, batshit crazy on True Blood. So seeing her in a very different character was uh, really, really nice to see. So, elsewhere, um, I want to talk about... A a um a smaller storyline, and that storyline is the one that Lana had in this episode. So her storyline starts with a, an event for someone that that she is trying to help become the new mayor, and uh, unfortunately, he is not answering his phone, this, that, or the other, and when he shows up, because he was supposed to be there to greet all the people, he announces to her that, uh, he is dropping out of the mayoral race. He found, he got a job offer in another county, and, uh, you know, his family has been down on their luck, so he needs to take advantage of it, you know, because the mayoral position is not guaranteed. Lana is incredibly disappointed. Um, she had a little run-in with the, the current mayor, which was kind of, hmm, and maybe suspicious. I don't know. But um, later on, after talking with Kyle about the situation, Kyle comes back home with a list of signatures of of, of people down at the firehouse that want her to run for mayor. And she had already gotten the idea as well. So as they say, great minds. Um, and, And this is something that I wanted. So I was really excited to see this. The professor was all like, hmm. But she's doing it. Our girl is running for mayor. So professor, since you were the one last time that was like, you know, maybe it's best that she work for it than run. What do you think about her now running
2: Well, I thought to myself that, you know, when the uh, suspicious job offer came in for the guy that she was, you know, uh, going to be supporting, I thought to myself, well, obviously, Jeff offered this guy a job just to get rid of him because he was so desperate for Lana to be running for mayor. Um, uh, But I I did. I I really liked how they they played the whole thing out. I I agree that there was something hella suspicious about the mayor, um, you know, just showing up at that location. And then, you know, his only real competition getting offered a job. Uh, Out of uh, town. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that there are, you know, machinations going on and he, you know, uh, arranged for this guy to be offered a job to get rid of him. Uh, I like the fact that Lana's immediate reaction wasn't, well, I'll run myself. It was, who else can we run? And I really thought for a minute that she was going to be, that they were setting up a sort of, you know, situation where she would be trying to persuade Kyle to run. And, uh, you know, because he is the fire chief, um, you know, he is, you know, a respected member of the community. It would kind of make sense. But the fact that they did pull it off – and by the way, again, you know, Kyle getting those moments where he'll, he could very easily be that you know, sort of simple-minded redneck uh, that, we, uh, that we knew from the first season. The fact that you know, he came back and said, hey, you know, you're the one who should run, and we find out that she agrees with him because she's already been filing the papers on her own. Uh, I thought that was a great resolution to it. So I'm, I'm totally on board with, uh, with Lana running for it. I did think it was more interesting the idea of her sort of being the chief of staff of someone else, a, a more experienced politician was running but uh yeah there, there is something that we and, and you know the fact that we got in the the recap to the episode the fact that we got the uh the recap of this uh this oleaginous mayor um i find it interesting the, the idea that you know got you've got this mayor he's been mayor for 10 years and everyone's going oh my god and i just looked up and you know in my community my mayor has been mayor for 40 years oh since 1982 we have had the same mayor so you know, I'm not saying that you know, he's a supervillain or anything like that. I'm just saying that it is hmm, maybe you know, a little weird and suspicious.
1: Well, there you go. All Forty right. years, people. That's a long time. Yes. You need to, you need to run.
2: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> okay,
1: all right. Too
2: busy with my podcast. Oh, yes. Well, you know, it does take also, a Also, if anyone time. were to replay one of these podcasts,
1: oh, I, I think my political career would be over. Well, you cr- clearly will not have the vegan boat for yeah, a vegan vote. Yeah, you lose it immediately. Yes, Millie Wood. Speaking of vegans, um, do you have any additional thoughts on on Lana's new uh, career venture venture? Like, clearly, she's going to win, right? Clearly,
0: yes, she will. If not, I think, yeah, we should stage revolt in smallville because it's definitely setting up for that in that mayor the Kurt mayor's just shady and they need a change but um not because i think the professor said and, and i mean we kind of saw like they were setting this up since season one um i guess they just want to do like episode one misdirection but i would say that i was surprised with like that kyle supported her so he like got a, like, thumbs up in my box, I and mean, he's not redeemed. It'll be interesting to see, like, how he handles it, but I do appreciate that he was, like, supporting her because I was not expecting that from him.
1: Well, there you go. Now, you were a little eh about Kyle last week. Does this mean you're starting to warm up to him again?
0: Like, sort of. <laughs> I think it depends to see, like, it's nice to him supportive, but he can also easily I think, and we saw that last week, be feeling like he's being forgotten or just, you know, just a little petulant. So I think if he, you know, keeps on the positive side, you'll definitely go to the good side of my book, but he's still on thin ice for me.
1: Oh, Okay. Oh, right.
2: I like this approach better (laughs) because I think what they were setting up last episode was that, you know, Kyle was sort of feeling, you know, not necessarily resentful that, you know, Lana was taking the spotlight. But I think it was, you know, she was spending all her time with this young, good looking politician. And I think there was a resentment there. and, And I think they dealt with it and they resolved it fairly efficiently, you know, in that episode. But I think sort of, you know it'll be interesting to see how Kyle handles that if his wife does become you know a uh, you know a politician if she is successful if she is you know um if she has less time for him as a result of that how will he handle that? And I think you know the Kyle of season one. We would expect him to uh, you know be saying, "Oh, woman, you got to be uh, you know home to put my dinner on the table at five o'clock when I get back" or something like that. I don't think that's the Kyle that we're seeing now. I think this is a Kyle who supports his wife and uh, and 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 wants you know the best for her. So I think we're going to see a, a more supportive version of Kyle than we might have. And I think removing that other candidate removes the the the, the sort of you know overlay that we had last episode of you know him feeling a uh, a sexual jealousy there so i think you know if we do get any resentment it'll just be you know uh him thinking that you know she's perhaps being more successful than him or whatever but um i i, I do think they sort of inoculated themselves against that by the way they've done it and, and i like that you know I, I i like kyle you know he was presented as a as an unsympathetic character but he's had a pretty good face turn uh over you know the uh the the series so far and and i like that
1: Maybe Lana will be mayor for 40 years. You never know. It can happen. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of the Cushing family. Because speaking of uh, people feeling neglected (laughs) and all that kind of stuff, Jordan was kind of feeling that this episode. uh, Once again, there, there was a lot of teen awkwardness between Sarah and Jordan. Jordan uh, did not pick up on any of that. We do have to remember that Jordan is socially awkward. Like that was, that's, that's, that's who he is. That's how we were introduced to him way back in season one, episode one. And usually socially awkward people, they don't pick up on uh, typical social cues. And clearly Sarah is not... The Sarah that was feeling all lovey-dovey last season. Um, And and I do think Jordan slowly starts to pick up on it in this episode. Uh, They do end up eating lunch together. Natalie joins, and there's the great cover story of who she is and how he knows her. And after talking about muscle cars, um, Sarah basically ditches Jordan... To hang with Natalie to fix the issue that has been um, sort of thwarting the Cushings uh, of you know uh, restoration of the car, and uh, later on, Sarah actually tells Jordan why she's been. A bit distant, why things haven't been the same since she returned from uh, summer camp, and that is that she kissed a girl. She said that it didn't really necessarily mean anything in you know in that sort of way, but Jordan uh, um reacts as a teen would react <laughs> at least I think so. Um, Millie, let's talk about this. What'd you think of Sarah in this episode? Uh, um, what'd you think of Jordan? And, uh, this is the professor's rule, so I have to ask this question. When you, when you have two, um, attractive people of similar age paired up in a scene together... Are you immediately shipping Sarah and Natalie? I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just asking the question.
0: Immediately I wasn't, but I was like, wait a second. Maybe. I don't know if I was shipping, but I feel like I could see them going that route for sure. Just the fact that, like, is the first person that Natalie somewhat seems to actually talk to that's not like um, Jordan and Jonathan and her dad and Clark. Um, so I could. I think that'd be really interesting. Um route to go. I was surprised that was, like, obviously, like, I had a feeling Sarah did something at summer camp, because it's summer camp, like we said last week, but I was shocked they were going that direction. I think that uh, it would be very interesting to see if they handle it right. It could be an interesting exploration that way and something I wouldn't expect from the CW. Um, I think if any writers would be able to handle it, it would be these Superman and ones, because they seem very more mature. Because at first I thought it was going to be, like, the teen drama you can predict like she had a fling at summer camp and it just you know turns into a whole soap opera so i'm glad to go that route um and it seems to be a bit more like interesting there um and poor jordan just doesn't know how to be <laughs> like he's really trying so um i feel for the kid but um hopefully they don't like drag this out too much um and on that side but it will be interesting to see how they like move forward with it
1: mm-hmm. apparently everybody's flinging at summer camp. Professor, any thoughts or, or any any opinions on the direction in which uh, the Sarah Jordan romance is going? Do you think the romance is fizzling? And uh, are you, much like Millie and myself, now shipping Sarah with Natalie?
2: Uh, I'm not necessarily. Um, I, I do find it a little odd that Natalie, who has you know, apparently spent years... Uh, along with her dad in a bunker working on technology is now suddenly, you know, this this font of uh, of great advice about you know telling people how you feel and everything like that um we don't really know anything uh, about natalie's background or her sexuality or anything like that so i think we're sort of jumping to conclusions here uh i would question you know your uh your analysis that jordan had the typical teen boy reaction to finding out that you know his girlfriend kissed a girl because i think the typical teen boy reaction would be whoa that's hot did you get any pictures can i watch you do it Um, Now, that may not be in character for Jordan, but I would think that is much more the typical teen boy. Uh, I also question their their decision to be playing uh, Katy Perry. I kissed a girl, and I liked it in the background during what should have been a very moving and, and heartfelt scene. I thought that sort of diminished it.
1: Well, I mean, it's a classic. Oh, I,
2: I, I'm not saying it's not a stone cold banger. I'm just saying, I think it diminished somewhat from the, the import of the scene, but no, I, I, I'm not seeing anything with, with Natalie yet. Um, it, it is possible certainly. And, and, you know, um, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, my CW rule of, you know, two appropriately aged people of appropriate, you know, attractiveness, uh, are inevitably, you know, going to be shipped, uh, whether they should be shipped. It feels a little weird, but, you know, Natalie is coming from another world. She has no one like aside from her dad. She has literally no one. Um, but that's why I, I wouldn't want it to be a romantic thing. I would want it to be her reaching out and finding a friend um, uh, in many respects in a CW show. It's harder to find a friend, I think, than it is to find a romantic uh, relationship. But, yeah, it is it, it it is curious. But I think if they did set that up, it would create such a tension uh you know with jordan and uh and everything like that i think it would be whew, I, I wouldn't go as far as say it would be toxic but it would be really really super weird
1: bring on the weird or maybe not stay tuned listeners stay tuned so well speaking of things that are kind of weird we got some interesting intel on lois's familial life in this episode that was surprising because you know post crisis lucy lane went through a lot so um the um the synopsis for the episode says that uh, like chrissy and, and lois kind of get into it and it was interesting that they put that in the synopsis because i didn't feel like it was like a major, major plot point for the episode. But it was interesting enough because it clearly is setting up for the return of uh, Lucy Lane, as we all know, because it was announced and and that sort of thing um, during the hiatus. So uh, this little tiny storyline starts off because a podcast is put out that kind of challenges and questions a bit of investigative journalism that Lois did many, many moons ago about a cult leader named Allie. Um <laughs> her last name Mac. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that too, yeah. Well what a coincidence that is. I'm just saying, you know, um, a little too on the nose, Superman and Lois writers. Uh, But I I think she's in jail, so it's not like she can complain. Uh, But uh, maybe, or she's, I don't know, is she in jail, or is she being arraigned? I don't know. Um, Has has she been hauled in? I don't know. But anyway, moving right along. But uh, a cult leader, and this, that, or the other, and um, Chrissy has experienced... Lois, when she kind of, you know, wiggles around the rules and that sort of thing, and when Lois is like, you know, you you read it, and in the first sentence I say that there was a connection with family and that sort of thing. And she's like, I know how you are with family. And Lois is like, well, this is different. And then later on she ends up telling Chrissy the truth. It's that her sister... Lucy was in the cult. Now this is a huge departure from anything we knew about Lucy Lane from uh, Supergirl way back in season one. So this is clearly a crysequence. I can't believe we're still talking about crysequences. But it is a crisis consequence. So Lucy's backstory seems to be just completely different um, I wonder if she's going to still have the military background. I guess stay tuned. But, uh, Professor, talk to me about this. What would you think of uh, the little nuggets of information that we got that's, that, you know, it, it was interesting because Lucy Lane was not in this episode. But, uh, you know, for, for at least a tiny portion of it, the focus was on her.
2: Yeah, I'd like to take back what I said about vegans earlier in the episode, but clearly – uh, you know, from what we found out during this episode, podcasters are the worst people on earth. Um, oh, I and know, right? uh, it's nice to see those, those evil podcasters finally being taken down a peg. Um, it, it, it was interesting. I think it was a good way of introducing Lucy's character. Obviously, you know, we knew that Lucy was, you know, and the actress who played Lucy in, in Supergirl was coming back. So it's not a total surprise, but in terms of the introduction of it, and I don't think this is a one-off, I don't think we would have Chrissy there listening to this podcast series and bring it up, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, A, obviously Lucy's coming back, but I, I don't think that, you know, we're just going to ignore this element uh, of the cult. I think that is going to be something that we are going to be revisiting, that it is going to be, you know, a a current thing. And again, getting to, to Lois, you know, so far in this, the series we've been, you know, Lois is sort of trying to adapt to her life, you know, as co-owner of the paper uh, and everything like that. But, you know, she, we don't really have her through line. Uh, you know, going forward. And I think, you know, introducing Lucy and, you know, maybe Lucy isn't fully over uh the effect of the cult or or anything like that. I think that that raises an, an interesting element and a good reason to bring Lucy, you know, back into the fold. Um, it, it was interesting because, you know, obviously, you know, Lois, while a good reporter, is someone who has, you know, had to play a little fast and loose with the truth. She can't reveal what she knows about Superman or if she gets any information about Superman. Uh, and the fact that she was talking about, you know, a family member, and she said, you know, she said a family member, she didn't say who. Um, the fact that she only has one sister and a father kind of made it obvious who she was talking about if you were thinking about it. But I do think that's interesting. And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I suspect that, yeah, this conversation. This Cult is going to become uh, more significant than than just a throwaway line in in episode two i think there, there has to be more to it and and more of a reason to bring lucy lane back into it so i don't think it's going to be just oh look here's lucy uh who we saw you know over on supergirl i think this is going to be part of a a longer arc uh and more of a problem uh for lois
1: I agree with you, and uh, it's interesting, because the showrunners did say in an interview that I read, uh, I believe it was last week, that uh, everyone is kind of going to get their own villain to fight, per se. And I think this could be Lois, and maybe even Chrissy, and maybe even Lucy's villain, a fight. I, I agree with you, Professor. I don't think the cult, um, this whole, whatever you want to call it that Lois did, the expose, um, I, I don't think this cult is maybe fully over, or we might see some sort of maybe pushback from them in a larger kind of way. Um, I don't know if anybody actually read the title for the The podcast that um, Chrissy was reading, but it was something about, like, you know, something, something against cancel culture and that sort of thing. So if, you know, these people end up bringing this cult back, you know, by sort of as a response to that the cult was sort of canceled by questionable journalistic practices, uh, you know, Lois is going to have to take that shit down again. I'm just saying like, and, and that might my be guess, interesting to watch.
2: Mm-hmm. Based on that, you know, and this is based on nothing, you know, there was nothing presented in the episode or anything I've read or anything like that, but just based on the storytelling uh, that we've gotten from Lois and Clark uh, in the past uh, and the fact that they're sort of taking on, you know, uh, you know, mature questions, uh, you know, in a mature way is my guess would be that, you know, when Lucy comes back, Lucy might have slipped back into the cult, and that would set up, you know, Lois trying to take down this cult, even though Lucy is pushing against her uh, as someone within the cult. Because I think that would be, you know, a, a more interesting, more grown up uh, way to take this on than sort of a, a conventional CW, uh, you know, fighting to, to, you know, to free someone. Uh, you know, if you're freeing someone or you're trying to free someone who doesn't want to be freed. I think that's a much more nuanced take on it. And my suspicion is that's the way they would go. Uh, with the storyline. But again, that's based on nothing except, uh, you know, uh, my expectation based on, you know, the first season, which was, you know, very smart and, and very grown up storytelling.
1: All right. There you go. Uh, maybe they can get Alice and Mac to Skype in, you know, or something. Right. I don't know. All right. Let me stop moving away from that. But Millie, any any thoughts on just the the, the little bit of intel that we got about Lucy and uh, and where you think the storyline could go?
0: I yeah, I didn't realize. I like that like, Lois is getting like her own storyline. I did have a pre- like question for the professor as our like journalistic expert, or you yes. know, show. So, um, and for me, it felt like the way that Chrissy called Lois out felt weird. But I'm wondering, like. Did she have the right to ask Lois to, like, reveal who her source was? So I feel like, I don't know if they're that quite besties yet, but I'm, like, I don't know. um should take it from her word there because um, I just feel like maybe she saw his resentment from last season with the whole, like, DOD situation and she's being, like, extra hard on Lois. I just was kind of curious what the professor thought there.
2: Uh, Yeah, just to fill that in, Chrissy has every right to know who any anonymous source in the story is because you do have to reveal your anonymous sources to your editors. And Chrissy, as the editor of the paper, has the right to know whoever the anonymous source is. Um, And indeed, even when you're talking about a a reporter writing a story with an anonymous source, the editor should always know who that source is so they can verify whether the information is trustworthy.
1: A quick follow-up, because this this was not a story that she did. In Smallville, clearly. This was something that I'm assuming she did in Metropolis at the Daily Planet. Um, Even though she's Chrissy was not her boss at the time, can she still go back and be like, you know, who was your source from five years ago?
2: Well, not so much, but uh, it, it's more the idea of, of you know establishing a trust relationship on Lois's part. But no, okay. you're quite right in that you know because this is a story from the past. You know, uh, you know, Christie wouldn't have any you know legal or ethical basis for for demanding that information. But I think the fact that Lois was willing to share it uh, was important from an element of uh, of trust. And if Lois hadn't done that, I think it would have been super. Super sus. And also we might have suspected that Clark was the uh, you know the family member who was in the cult. So I think it was necessary to to bring it out in
1: that way. Okay. All right. Okay. Millie, did you have anything else to add before we move on to another storyline?
0: Well, I forgot about the whole Lucy storyline, so I, I at first I thought it was just like the writers forgot what they wrote in Supergirl, but I forgot you could use um, the air er- hole timeline rewritten as an excuse to like come up with interesting dark it's a very dark turn so i'm kind of curious and excited to see this like quote
1: unquote cold dark lucy it is a very dark turn like lucy was bubbly and and you know uh yeah i like I, this is gonna be fascinating it's like it's i think it's gonna be a shift in personality i mean because clearly she she had an experience so uh stay tuned that. Alright, uh continuing on actually with Lois, so she heads on down to the mines with Chrissy, you know, to ask some questions. Um earthquakes, uh what's going on? We meet Dr. Faulkner and uh, you know she gives answers, but it's not necessarily what Lois and Chrissy want to hear. They do come at her with some facts. Hello, there's ex Kryptonite down there. You know what? What is someone from your educational background doing here? This, that, or the other, and um, you know, she kind of uh, basically tells them at the end of it all. You know, uh, I will tell you, you know, some safety stuff if there ever needs to be, you know, because the safety of uh, the small villains is exactly what I'm most concerned about. Lois ends up asking Irons to check sort of like the readings and, and that sort of thing. We got a line in here that was interesting, and and it was mentioned a couple of times this episode, uh, when uh, um, Lois initially asks for his help, he's like, I'm not trying to get involved, you know, I got my daughter here, I'm trying to be a dad, I have her back, this, that, the other, Um, so Steel is retired, you know, I'm not suiting up, Steel is retired, Clearly, Steele is not retired. At least, i uh, you know, I'm just saying that, period. As much as um, Irons is saying Steele is retired, he's not. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see when, uh, you know, he ends up, I guess, suiting up again. Um, but there was that little bit of intel. And then by the end of the episode, when we see our sort of mysterious figure, you know, trying to do stuff, we see Faulkner um basically saying something to the gist of that oh they're gonna find this interesting so clearly faulkner is working for somebody do we know this person do do we do we have any suspicions um part of me would say lex luther but based off of what happened on supergirl i don't know if he's currently available But um, the fact that they don't even mention Kara, maybe they could still actually use him, even though um, Supergirl ended with him in a very uh, precarious situation. But um, we got yeah, there there was there were interesting hints with this storyline in this episode. Millie, did you like the hints? Do you wish that we had more information? Clearly, the doctor is hella sus, right?
0: So sus, like she was sus before the end of the episode too. So um, yeah, as soon as she came on, she's like, "Well, she's the head of tech so you knew something was up there."
1: I know, right?
0: Okay. Yeah, I I like the tidbits. Um, I feel like everyone they they are newly introducing like uh, doctor lieutenant like anyone new just seems sus, and i'm wondering if they're they're purposely doing that because as you mentioned like everyone's gonna have a big bad or have their own kind of enemy or if they're just trying to put in a lot of like red herrings to confuse us but it is interesting i feel like all the new people are just very suspicious
1: Hmm. professor are you keeping your eye on the doctor because clearly she's <sighs> you know
2: Well, yeah, but I I think, you know, they they did a pretty good job of not making her overtly suspicious until the end of the episode when, you know, we got her mysterious phone call to whomever. Um, I think, you know, her her opening scene with uh, with Chrissy and Lois was just basically, you know, what you would expect from that situation. Hey, we're doing stuff here. I don't have to tell you shit, so I'm not going to tell you shit. (laughs) Um, And and that later scene where she's sort of, you know, watching what's happening in the mines, they played it up as, you know, Oh my God, my people are being killed. What's going on? I I don't know. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, they, they sort of played it, you know, fairly straight in that way. And then to get her, you know, you know, turning away from the monitors and calling up whoever it is she's calling it. And I agree with you. Wouldn't it be great if it was Lex Luthor? I doubt that it will be, um, but uh, it's got to be something like that. You know, and it, it, you know, in terms of you know, we 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 know who's in the mine, uh, but there's obviously a bigger bad behind the big bad of Doomsday, and you know, and again, you know, we were talking about you know what Lois will do, possibly you know uh, unraveling who this mysterious figure is. Behind what's going on, uh, you know, in the mines, you know, and how did Doomsday get there? Is this a, uh, you know, is this a U.S. government project that you know they started, you know, to bring down Superman in the past, and they buried it, hoping it would be forgotten? Or is this a Kryptonian, um, you know, um, you know, uh, anti-Kryptonian measure that was that that's been sitting there waiting? Um, I don't really don't know what route they're going to take with it. Uh, I think it would be more interesting, you know, from a storytelling point of view, if we found out that it was, you know, as I said before, a, uh, a U.S. government thing, um, because uh, you know the the lieutenant general, I think, has not been presented as as a bit antagonistic, but you know, they're sort of playing him, you know, as I say, you know, not completely hella suspicious. He's He's got his own point of view. I think, you know, I said last week that, you know, I like the way they're playing him. And I like that in this episode as well, that he's not, you know, overtly being dickish towards Superman. He's just saying that, you know, right now you're a bit of a liability. You know, we can't trust you because, A, we don't know, are you on our side or are you on someone else's side? And also, you know, in this episode, the fact that, you know, you know, Superman is, you know, being incapacitated. We'll be curious. And if we find out that this was like a U.S. government project or something that was buried however many years ago, how he would react. Uh, to find that out, I think, is interesting as well. So, yeah, I think the big question that we have, and they've given us absolutely no hints as to who is behind this, is that there has to be someone who knows what is down there in the mine, and, therefore, presumably knows how it got there, who that is and how they have that information, I think should be a really good reveal going forward. Much more interesting than the you know the finding out that, oh, yeah, it's Doomsday. Yeah, exactly like we expected from Episode 1. But the fact that we do now have this bigger mystery, I think, is 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 far more interesting than just whatever is punching stuff down in the mind.
1: Very true, yes. Uh, You brought up Anderson. And uh, I mean, that's sort of my suspicion, at least at the moment. I mean, I would love for it to be Lex Luthor or someone, uh, you know, from the comics that's Lex Luthor adjacent, uh, just because, you know, bringing in another sort of comic book villain, maybe in a unique kind of way, would be interesting. Um, But my immediate sort of um, uh, guess was actually Anderson for whatever reason. And I know that they have not played him as supervillainous. Although, I mean, he is basically telling Superman, you're either with us or against us. (laughs) Or if you're not with us, get out the fucking way. Um, And and that kind of is, uh, you know, very sort of American military douchey but um outside of that they haven't really shown us not even with like a subtle look that he's nefarious but if he does end up being nefarious i could see him being behind it Um, the big question i think is did the retired general lane know about this, if this is a military project. the Professor, this is now the second podcast well, we've only been back for two podcasts but this is the second one in a row that you've said, could this be like a military project that was created to you know, as, as kind of a doomsday scenario you know, if Superman uh, became bad and this that or the other, if he went rogue uh, if he was the rogue one Uh, So the big question for me is, if it is a a military project, did General Lane know about it? Uh, So, um, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see if um, whatever ends up happening. Um, Since the professor sort of touched on it a little bit, Millie, I want to bring you into the conversation about the Lieutenant General. I believe last time I called him Lieutenant Colonel. But the Lieutenant General Anderson and his supermen of America... Uh, we see them in action. We see Superman become incapacitated because he was having an episode. And we see these super people fighting the, you know, the, the, the tiny villain of the week. Uh, and one of the super people is Tag. We remember Tag from last season and, and that sort of thing. He popped up, and he's, you know, in essence being used by the military, um, you know, because of the powers that he acquired from the ex-kryptonite early in season. One, we you su- surprised at seeing Tag. And the other thing that I want to mention is, it was a tiny line in the episode, but for whatever reason, social media bid onto it they latched onto it in the episode one of uh, jonathan's football playing buddies you know ends up saying something to the gist of you know oh yeah i'm on something and i'm you know i'm going to be stronger than ever i'm completely paraphrasing what he said but for whatever reason people online were like could he be on x kryptonite and I don't know if that popped into your mind at all, but uh, I figured, uh, you know, since people online were talking about it, might as well mention it.
0: I didn't even think of that. I thought they were doing that more of like Jonathan feeling inadequate.
1: Inadequate. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. But the Internet, you know, you know how they think.
0: I mean, they could. I mean, the kid made like they made a good point. Like the kid is on something. Or maybe he just got really strong. Who knows? Um, but I it would be interesting if that is how it panned out. Um, I feel like if he got x Kryptonite, it would be more than just him being able to, like, lift. Especially if he was a kid that would show it off. So I feel like he would have more powers and he would we would know immediately what they were. Um, in regards to, like, tag, I, I was surprised. But then at the same time, not because I know the professor mentioned it last week. Like, they have to tie it in. And so if it was you or the, or the professor or you. But um, whoever said that was very right like and it makes sense that the kids are having all these powers they're now being shaped to be mini supermen um so i think that would be very uh, interesting to see the, the fallout from that and if i remember correctly i feel like general lane had to have some part in that or at least like knowledge um so all of that's going to be uh, fun to watch that as everyone realizes like a, that unfold cause i don't think it'll end well
1: i know right Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what the hell this is about. But the fact that Anderson is like, you're either with us or not at all, is, you know... I mean, are you the boss of Superman? Like, I think not. I'm just saying. And we still don't really... Did I miss it? We don't have an answer as to how the other people got their powers, right? Are we just assuming... That it's because of X-Kryptonite, or do we think there is something else that's going on with how the DoD has acquired, or I don't even want to say acquired, um, how they created their super peeps? Professor? Do we? Like, we haven't gotten any hints, right? Well, we know
2: that Tag got his powers from X-Kryptonite because of, you know, the the incident with... uh... Uh, with Jordan and his heat vision, um, but the other ones it could be x kryptonite linked It could be that they 're just finding you know metas in the the black lightning sense and you know training them to become the next generation of american super soldiers. Um, it remains to be seen. My guess is that it would probably be x kryptonite linked that you know they are you know amassing quantities of x kryptonite and they 're using that to to give powers uh to uh to these young people, but again that 's just a guess.
1: Which, if all of a sudden the DoD has acquired a lot of X-Kryptonite, that could mean that the good doctor was chatting with uh, Anderson on the phone. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Stay tuned, though. The Ties That Bind, is the episode that it's called. Was there anything that I missed? A tiny little moment that anyone would like to discuss before we head into the MVP? I wouldn't call
2: it missing something necessarily, but it is interesting that, you know, uh, Clark is the only one being affected by whatever this thing is that's going on. Um, You know, uh, Jordan isn't uh, half Kryptonian. And the fact that Tal Rowe having all of his powers back and being a full Kryptonian was not affected by it either suggests that whatever this doomsday figure is doing in the mines uh, is not a you know a a a a generic kryptonian affecting thing it seems to be specific to uh, to Clark, uh, which again, I think you know brings up the idea that rather than this being some lost Kryptonian artifact, it seems to be much more likely that it's something that was you know developed and targeted to be used against Superman, uh, rather than you know again, the comic book accurate version of it, which is that you know a uh, a creature that was designed just to kill all Kryptonians.
1: That's a really good point. Stay tuned, I'm looking forward to getting a whole bunch more answers about what the hell is going on in the coming weeks. I do like the little drips of information, Um, if this is the big bad that Superman is going to have to fight this season, I mean, it makes the most sense that we're just getting teeny tiny little nuggets of info with each episode, Um, so yeah, so... I'm here for it. Now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP and why?
2: Uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Willie Parks. Uh, I thought, you know, he didn't have a whole lot to do. But I thought, uh, you know, his scene, you know, that that scene where he, you know, uh, gave Lois, you know, the, the tea exactly the way she liked it um i thought he was he was really strong you know despite you know not having a lot to do but i i think you know given everything that you know they had to do with all of the other characters they didn't have a lot of time for him but the the times that he did have he made the most of and you know he's just a reminder of why you know even you know when when a character doesn't have a lot to do if you have a really good actor playing that they can do a lot with it so i thought he was he was really strong in this episode
1: very nice choice and, Professor, I don't think I asked you, but you do co-sign Steele is not really retired, right?
2: Oh, definitely not. I okay. mean, uh, the fact that they mentioned his retirement in two subsequent episodes, like, we're two episodes into it, and he said, I'm retired twice. Obviously, he's not retired.
1: Okay, good, good, good. I'm just saying. All right, uh, Millie Wood, uh, you're MVP, and why?
0: I think I'll have to give it to the, uh, like, petty Talro. Um <laughs> Resent by and resentful petty. But, yeah, I, I was surprised that we saw him so soon, um, and I think that the actor uh, did a really good job of, of playing him, and it was just fun to see him uh, kind of, I guess, in this capacity, a little bit different than what we had seen before um, in the previous season.
1: Fantastic. Another great choice, and I will give it to his scene partner, Tyler Hoechlin. Uh, I really like what he did as Clark and as Superman, in this episode. Um, Yeah, him opening up to Lois, although, I mean, it needed to happen and made sense for it to happen. I thought it was handled really well, you know, very grown up, very mature. And as well as him sort of realizing that he was going to have to kind of play uh, through or or with, um, he was going to have to deal with Talro based off of Talro's Rules to really get down to what was going on with him. Um, I I thought, uh, you know, that was another sort of mature decision as well, especially because of everything that happened last season. I mean, it made sense why he was hesitant in the beginning. Uh, But yeah, uh, Tyler is doing a fantastic job, as always, as uh, Clark slash Superman. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10? red capes. The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving more than a 10, you may archive the episode In the Fortress of Solitude. Millie Wood, you're up first.
0: I think I'll have to go with 8.3 red capes for this episode. It was rewatchable, enjoyable. I feel like it, there's a lot of plot movement going on. I'm really just setting up for the rest of the season. Um, nothing I severely like, didn't like, but it just, I wasn't as enjoyable as last week. I felt like it came off a little bit of a high, but still think it's very strong. And, and they've pop, like put down a lot
1: of interesting storylines for us to follow through. We got an 8.3 from Millie Wood. Professor, what about you?
2: I'll go just a titch higher, eight point five. I thought it was a very enjoyable episode, and I think they were planting a lot of seeds that will, you know, be important for the uh, the season as we go forward. So I think we'll probably look back on this episode and go, "Oh yeah, that, you know, made a lot more sense in retrospect than maybe it does right now."
1: We got an eight point three. We got an eight point five so far. My co-hosts have been very nitpicky, and I'm going to nitpick as well. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a solid eight. Uh, when the episode ended, I thought an eight, and and uh, I'm I'm just gonna stick with it. I agree with actually what both both of you said. You know, it was a good episode. It 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 um it certainly added a lot of, um, of things to sort of ponder in regards to as the professor said. You know, they they're planting seeds for things to come. Throughout the rest of the season with this episode, um, and I would say I think Millie, would you said it was it maybe wasn't as rewatchable as as last week. I would say it was still you know equally as rewatchable as last week. Um, you know you can't really go wrong with an episode of uh, Superman and Lois. I would say as compared to some of the other offerings on the CW. I'm just saying. On that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us.
0: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Hill Gazette and subscribe.
1: Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Millie Wood. Good night,
0: listeners. If you are following me I'm on my Twitter, it's at TheAsianNerd.
2: And the professor. Good night, listeners. And just in case we still have any vegans listening, I'd like to end with my favorite vegan joke. Jeff, what's the worst thing about vegans?
1: Hmm. I don't know. What is the worst thing about vegans? The fact that they're almost
2: certainly correct.
1: Oh. Well, there you go. <laughs> On that note, thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night. Oh, by the way, Millie Wood is actually a vegan. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, How many
2: times have I heard you two talking about pork products and stuff like that?
1: Oh, that is true.